Good evening. Tonight I am going to talk to you about the subject of greatness, um, which is it's kind of cool. Uh, I mean, this morning Laura spoke about uh, releasing the voice within you and kind of calling out the greatness in us. And, uh, and so today is a bit of a Eastgate Music, Your Awesome Sandwich, with, with, a, with a nice 6-1 victory for the filling. I think that's kind of... <laughs> so let me start with a question. Um, who here can put your hand up and say, I know I'm called to be great? Well, that's it. Job done. I'll go. Coffee downstairs, yeah? No, no, no. It's, it's all right. It's, it, it's going to be taped, so for all the heathens that didn't turn up tonight, they can still... No. <laughs> so, okay, some of you didn't put your hands up. Um, if you did put your hand up, how nervous did you feel about doing that? How sure were you when you did it? A bit uneasy? Did you feel something in you going, no, I can't... Because that's how I feel sometimes when I'm doing it. If you, di- if you didn't put your hand up, how sure were you that you aren't called to be great? You know, did you maybe consider putting your hand up and, and feel for some reason that you shouldn't? How do you think heaven sees you? Um, so, let's have a look. Uh, Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse. Sorry, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Let's just let's just pray. Um, Holy Spirit, just help me get this word out. Help me communicate to these people what you've put in my heart. Help us together to recover a sense of greatness, to increase our sense of the greatness that you've conferred on us. And help us to go and do great things so that all peoples on the earth will be blessed through us. Amen. So this is the promise that God gave to Abram, later Abraham. And um, when we become Christians, I hope you realize that we inherit this promise. So it says in Galatians 3.29, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Right? You're an heir of this promise. So this promise is for us. A great name, a great nation, blessing for you, protection from curses, blessing to others, and blessing to the world. If you're a Christian, greatness is your inheritance. It's in your DNA. You are called to greatness. You're great. <laughs> and, and, you know, if, I, I'm not surprised people put their hands up because at Eastgate we, we are you know, overtly trying to build a place where people can fulfill that calling. That's our, that's our goal. It's a stated thing, you know. The directors would say, we aren't trying to build a big church, we are building big people. Right? We're building big people. That means great people. You know, it doesn't mean we're going to fatten you all up. <laughs> it, means, it means we're building people who know who they are in Christ, you know. One of the things we talk about a lot is discovering our royal identity as sons and daughters of the king, so much so that Dave Webster wrote a book about it. So, worth getting if you want to study more on that subject, or you can read Chris Vallotton's book, Supernatural Ways of Royalty. Both great books. And, um, and our good friend Andy Merrick from Glasgow, who gave that prophecy that Tim was talking about earlier, said... Um, you can't have a great identity and a tiny destiny. Right? You can't have a great identity and a tiny destiny. Right? 
You, if you know your royal identity, you're going to do great things. Yeah? Something we say in our vision statement, transformed lives, transform nations. Right? But still, I sense that some of us get nervous. I think it might be a British thing, actually, but uh, maybe a Scandinavian thing as well. I don't know. Help me out, Help me out here. Yeah. But some of us get nervous about admitting that that greatness lies within us. And, and really, my goal is to, to, to get us to be more happy to admit it and embrace it and enjoy it. I think the reason that people get nervous about it is due to some confusion maybe about what great, greatness actually is and what it means to be great. And so... Tonight, I want to try and help bring some definition to that. So what does it mean to be great? When you think of greatness, who do you think of? In fact, just, just take a minute. Maybe close your eyes. Who do you think of when you think of a great person? If you're thinking of Jesus, think of someone else. But, yeah, that's great too. But what is it about them that makes them great? Just, just think of it. For me... It's this guy. I go for the big ones, right? When I was little, my grandparents had a black and white picture on the wall of their house. Not this picture. Um, it was a picture of a man in a top hat, in a suit, sitting on a horse. And one day I asked who he was. And they said, that's Mr. Churchill. We won the war because of him. And I was quite little at the time. But that really, that sort of struck a chord in my heart, you know. And I've had, a, I've had a fascination and an admiration for this great man ever since. Um, I've listened to all of his wartime speeches. Joe bought me a CD of them, and they're amazing. Um, I've read some of his writings, the, 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 um, the writings of the, the whole Second World War. He wrote a whole um, four-volume thing on it. I haven't read the thick thing. I've read the abridged version. Um, I've watched several films portraying his life. Have any of you seen Darkest Hour? Incredible film. If you, if you haven't seen it and you are interested in Churchill, I recommend it. It's really powerful, really moving, really grabbed me. And, uh, Joe and, <laughs> Joe and I even spent part, part of, part of our 10th wedding anniversary walking around the cabinet war rooms in Westminster. In fact, I think she wondered if she was ever going to get me out of there. <laughs> I was like a kid in a sweet shop, you know, it was great. But, uh, but it was really amazing. <clears throat> and, um, on the 23rd of January 2015, I wrote this post and I put it up on Facebook. I'm going to read it to you. Sir Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill, a great man and a great hero and a personal inspiration to me, went to meet our maker 50 years ago yesterday. In many ways, he was a flawed character, battling with depression inside himself, the black dog as he called it, opposition from his peers and suffering many failures and setbacks during his career. Yet... He believed God placed him on this earth for a great purpose. And indeed he did. In our darkest hour, I wrote that before the film, I want you to know that. In our darkest hour, when all the other European leaders had allowed their courage to evaporate and one by one succumbed to the Nazi threat, he stood alone, sorry, he alone stood resolute and defiant and with words alone restored our spirit and inspired this once great nation to again recover its greatness. For almost two years, we were all that stood between Hitler and total domination of the whole continent, probably in the end, the whole world. His determination stemmed the tide and eventually turned that tide in our favor until at last our freedom was secured. We live in this legacy of freedom even today. 
What a truly great man. What a truly great man. He is, or was a great man. In a 2002, well, it seems the country agrees with me. In a 2002 BBC poll, he was voted the greatest Briton ever by a fair margin. Brunel came second, didn't he? Um, I think it's fair to say we would never have won the war without Churchill. And as far as I know, he didn't fire a single shot during that war. Never thought of that. At least not in combat, maybe, I don't know, but anyway. His greatness inspired greatness in others. He awakened a nation to who we were, who we are. You see, greatness is a team game. (laughs) You notice they're wearing red. I put this in the presentation before today. I want you to know what a step of faith I was making. It was my declaration that helped. (laughs) Greatness is a team game. Jesus recognized it, didn't he? I mean, he did amazing stuff. He released amazing stuff through his followers too. So first he recruited 12 apostles and then he gave them authority to go out and do miracles and signs and wonders. And they did. Then he sent out 72, didn't he? And they did the same thing. And he had hundreds of other followers and he focused on releasing the greatness in them. But after the time of Acts, the church seemed to lose its way a little bit in this, I think. From then on, great moves of God have often centered on the kind of one, the, the, the rise to prominence of one person. You know, um, Martin Luther, Augustine, Whitfield, Wesley, Amy Semple McPherson, William Brannan, Charles Finney, Catherine Coleman, many others. Um, this is just a few examples. But, but I, often, you know, it's sort of centered around them, didn't it? Rather than releasing it out to the masses. And I don't believe great moves of God were ever about, meant to be about the man of power for the hour or the woman. I think we were all meant to lay hold of something. And that is what's so pleasing about this current move of God, isn't it? Don't you think? It's not, it's not all about Bill Johnson or Sean Boltz or Randy Clark or Heidi Baker or Pete Carter or, you know, the great as they are. No. You know, most of the healings that happen here in Eastgate happen at the hands of people whose name the world will probably never know. Yeah, all of us, isn't it? Great things are happening here and they're happening at the at the hands of people that the world will never have heard of. I think this was always God's intention. Jesus said this. Very truly, I tell you, you will know this passage, I'm sure. Very, te- very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Right? Now, people argue about the meaning of the word greater in this verse, I think. You know, is it greater in in volume or is it greater in magnitude? Actually, I think that's a non-question. I don't think it matters. I'll explain why in a minute. The point here is that greatness was in the atmosphere around Jesus. Yeah? You can't deny it. He calls it out. If you believe in me, you'll do greater works. Right? If you're following him, greatness is following you. And his disciples did catch on to that, didn't they? They must have. They were always arguing about who was the greatest. <laughs> yeah. 
Luke 22, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Again, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Right? Jesus isn't interested in proving that he's the greatest. He is the greatest. He doesn't need to prove it. Right? So when he's saying the one who's at the, you know, who's greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves, well, I'm serving, but the one who's at the table is greater. I think he's talking about how the world views greatness, isn't he? Yeah, the, the guys in the, he talks in the parables, doesn't he, about people in a position of prominence. Um, and then if you, if you put yourself in a position of prominence and someone more prominent than you comes along, you get pushed down the table and that's, you're, you're, you're humbled, you know. But if you put yourself in a servant position, then you're called to the head of the table and you're exalted, right? That's his, that's his view of how to be great. So it's, it's, if you manage to do something Jesus didn't do, it doesn't make you greater than him, does it? Right? He turned water into wine. If I turn it into, cocktails that doesn't make me greater than jesus it's quite fun but it doesn't make me greater than jesus <laughs> i mean it's not even close is it he's god he is the greatest and he will always be the greatest you know he's the... but he wants to share his greatness with us god is the source of our greatness this kind of ties in with what you guys were talking about and uh he never actually slaps them down for wanting to be great either, does he? Or for wanting to be the greatest. He doesn't say, no, 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 don't be the greatest. He says, okay, if you want to be the greatest, here's how to be the greatest. Serve. Serve others. And he modeled it as well, didn't he? Uh, Tim mentioned that verse in Philippians when he was, when he was um, talking earlier. You know, um, he modeled it, taking the nature of a servant. Yeah, he humbled himself, made himself nothing. So I think it all comes back to the promise to Abraham. There are two promises in that promise, and each of those promises has two halves. You know, I will bless you, part one, and make you a blessing to, the other, to others, right? I will make you into a great nation, and all other nations will be blessed through you. Right? I, I think that's where the confusion, the nervousness about acknowledging our call to greatness comes from, the, the misunderstanding of that. You see, there's, there's two overbalances that cause us to be nervous about greatness. So when great becomes greatest, like the superlative, then our, our instinct for greatness is turned into arrogance and selfish ambition. You know, we, we want to exalt ourselves, be the best. This guy, if you don't know, well, pro- yeah, you're probably all old enough, mostly. This guy's Muhammad Ali, if you don't know. I grew up in the 70s. Uh, I was a child in the 70s. This guy was the heavyweight champion of the world. And his, his kind of catchphrase was, I'm the greatest that will ever be, wasn't it? It was kind of, that was his, that was his thing. He said, uh, to me, he always came across as quite arrogant. He was also a really awesome heavyweight boxer, by the way. Um, he said, I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. And he said, I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. <laughs> but, yeah, I, he, I'm sure he was a great man too, but... When, when arrogance comes in, it's kind of ugly. You know, the, the, when the focus comes off being a blessing to other people or a blessing to the nations, you know, it, it kind of spoils it. If a, if a body of water has no outlet, it becomes stagnant and stinky. That's kind of what I'm saying. So the promise to you 
is also a promise to bless others, right? That's, that's my point. Selfish ambition is, is, is the desire, the need to be great in the eyes of others. And it's to fulfill a need in you. It comes from the orphan spirit, a need for significance, because you feel insignificant, right? I read this in the week. When you try to fight for something that you receive from inheritance, you get exhausted. Sometimes you only receive when you sit down, be quiet, and learn how to be a son or a daughter. That's Bill Johnson. When you try to fight for something that you receive from inheritance, you get exhausted. Sometimes you only receive when you sit down, be quiet, and learn how to be a son or a daughter. There are parts of the faith where we get breakthrough simply by understanding our identity. There are times when Father God is simply wanting you to learn to receive as a child of God. And I I believe our sense of true greatness comes from our identity and significance as sons and daughters in the eyes of our daddy. And if you struggle with that, get in the presence of God, meditate on that Genesis 12 promise to Abraham that you've inherited, and work it out with him. So the second overbalance is really a reaction to the first one. Selfish ambition can be ugly and not wanting to be associated with that can cause us to miss our call to greatness by avoiding anything to do with the subject. And actually, this is also caused by a fear of what other people will think, right? Which is the root of false humility. I couldn't possibly, no. And if you struggle with that, the answer is get in the presence of God, meditate on that promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, that you've inherited, and work it out with him. So correcting an overbalance often involves overbalancing the other way, doesn't it? Like, um, oh, my, kids are, my kids are really creative, especially Charlotte. She gets a pen out, and she's drawing all around the house all the time. And I'm, always, I'm terrified she's going to write on the wall. And, and she has, I think Henry wrote on his, on his wall once as well. That there's two ways I could react to that. The overbalance would be, I'm taking all the pens away. That's it. No more drawing. And in doing that, I would be destroying a creative gift. I would be, I would be stifling and stopping something amazing. Because Charlotte's drawings are fantastic. She drew like a, a great big poster today with the England badge and the three lions on it and was holding it up, going around the room as we were knocking all those goals in. You know, it was great. I, I wouldn't want to deny the world that creative gift, you know. Um, so the, the thing is not to, not to stop it completely. It's just it's do it right, isn't it? Right? Charlotte, pens are for writing on paper. Come and sit at the table. Here's a pen. Do your thing. Be awesome. But do it right. Do it in the right context. Do it the right way. Don't overbalance. And just to... Uh, just to... Uh, Slightly correct my dishonor of Muhammad Ali. <laughs> I'll chuck in a few good quotes. He who is not courageous enough to take risks will accomplish nothing in life. Muhammad Ali said that. He who is not courageous enough to take risks will accomplish nothing in life. So he, he, he gets it. Service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. So he did know about serving others as well. Just, you know, I kind of feel guilty. I want to redeem the guy a bit. You know? <laughs> I shook the world. Me. He said that. And this one I love. If they can make penicillin out of moldy bread, they can sure make something out of you. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So, we are called to greatness, but it's a team game and it's greatness for a reason. To be a blessing and to bless the nations. 
how do we respond to this call? What do we, what do, we do with all this? I mean, when I, when I think of church or when I watch Darkest Hour, I feel this greatness coming upon me. I feel this sense of greatness in me rising up. What do I do with all this inspiration? I mean, should I model myself a bit on Winston Churchill? You know, maybe gain some weight. <laughs> Become a bit grumpier and more difficult to deal with, you know. Drink more whiskey. Suits me. I, I, if you know me well, you know I like a single malt, so yeah, that would be good. You know, smoke some big long cigars. Maybe adopt some kind of signature hand gesture when I'm leading worship or preaching, you know. Jesus is the victory. <laughs> Indeed, I could alter completely the way I enunciate and communicate. It doesn't really suit me, does it? It's not <laughs> Not bad, no, okay, I don't know. And we're holding up numbers of my impression of Churchill there. <laughs> what does Churchill inspire in me? What should Churchill inspire in me? I should stand up for what I believe in in the midst of overwhelming opposition, you know? The voices of the naysayers should just bounce off me. I should seek to communicate in a way that inspires others to greatness. In fact, that's what I'm trying to do now. You can tell me later whether it's working. I should recognize that you don't have to be perfect to be great. That is really good news, isn't it? I mean, Churchill battled with depression. He's black dog. I said in my quote, didn't I? I've got my, I've got my black dog hat on, which was given to me by an American guy on the day of our 10th wedding anniversary when we went to the cabinet war rooms. This guy just got, I got talking to this American guy and he was like, I'm going to give you my black dog hat. Said, How cool is that? I thought I have to wear it for this, don't I? <laughs> um, I could determine to pick myself up in spite of any failures and continue to try and try and try against all the odds and never give up until I succeed. Right? Look for greatness in others and use it to inspire you to adopt a mindset of greatness. But be yourself. Elias was saying it when he was summing up, wasn't he? Be, be yourself. Who you are is great. You are called to be a great you. Be the best you that you can be. Embrace your greatness. If you're struggling to find people to inspire you, incidentally, go and read Hebrews 11. That's like the hall of fame of greatness in the Bible. Right? There are lots of inspiring great men and women in there who you can draw from, and even you can go and then read in more depth in the rest of the Bible about them. Awesome people, awesome people. They said the world is not worthy of them in there. They're amazing people. But greatness is on you. Believe it. If they can make penicillin out of mouldy bread, they can make something out of you. God can make something out of you, right? What does God want to do with you? What is possible for you? What, what do you dream of? What's that thing Danny Silk says? If you could be ten times more bold, what would you be doing? Or is it Chris? That's, I think they all say it. The Bethel guys say it. What is possible for you? Have a look at Joshua 10, 12. This is astonishing. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it's written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Oh, I love how the message puts that last bit. God took orders from a human voice. I think... I'm going to have a drink. Hang on. 
sorry, get a bit dry. <clears throat> I think, apart from creation and the incarnation, this is the most powerful miracle in the whole Bible. Holding the sun and the moon in the sky. I mean, I think this beats the Red Sea thing, you know. I mean, the sheer physics involved in holding the sun and the moon still in the sky. What did he do? Did he freeze frame the universe? And yet, if you did that, because we're being flung off the earth, aren't we, by the fact that it's spinning around, which means that gravity would have pulled us down, made us heavier. It just blows your mind. How did he do it? But that's not the most profound thing about it. The most profound thing about it is this. Let me ask you, whose idea was it? Was it God's idea? No. It was Joshua's idea. And God said, I like that. I'm going to work with that. Let it be. How great is that? Joshua got it, didn't he? I mean, it's only nine chapters ago. God was saying to Joshua, in fact, Dave Foggan was talking about this the other week. God was saying to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Do everything in the law, meditate on it day and night, skipping a bit. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And out of that, he gets, right, stop the sun, stop the moon. Bam. And it happened. Did he take God at his word or what? (laughs) We need to take God at his word like this and go for it. We need to believe he's called us to be great and he's speaking to us. He says all of the people of the earth will be blessed through us. It's not as far off as you think. I mean, I battled with self-doubt. I'll be honest. And I questioned my significance for years. And I worried about what people thought about me. Not anymore. That's done. You know, I believe it now. I can confidently tell you that I am called to be great and I'm going to be great. It's amazing what happens when you grab hold of your identity. I, I mean, I was in here talking to Andy Merrick, actually, um, from uh, the church in Glasgow that we work with. And the leaders from the Faroese church we work in. Uh, the other day at Living Fire, this kind of conference for church leaders here. And God just showed me this. And I didn't even know that Tim was going to mention the Andy Merrick prophecy. But um, Can you see that? doesn't look very clear from here. Hmm. Can we do anything about that? Right. Okay, I'm going to have to get creative. Right. This is a map of the UK. And... Uh, I can't even get the cursor to go up there. Hang on a minute. Ah, there we go. So you can see London there, right? So I've got an arrow. You don't need an arrow. You've got London down the bottom there. You've got Glasgow in the middle there. And then up here, you've got the Faroe Islands. Can you see that? All right. Um, So Eastgate, Glasgow, Scorpion, then the Faroe Islands. And God, God showed me that in my head. And he said... These are like, you know that film, the, the Return of the King, the last film of the Lord of the Rings? If you haven't seen it, don't worry, I'm going to show you a bit in a minute. Um, these beacons light up. It's interesting because you were saying like revi- revival spreading up from the southeast of England. You know, there's a beacon at Eastgate, there's a beacon at Glasgow, and there's a beacon in the Faroe Islands. And he said to me, these are beacons of hope. And I thought, oh, that's cool. So I sat on that for a bit, and then in the break I went and I got my phone out and I YouTubed the video. I thought, I'll see if I can find it. And I found it. So, oh yeah, I see now. Right, let's get rid of that. So, let me tell you what's going on here. This is in Minas Tirith, the city of Minas Tirith. 
and um, they're under threat from the enemy. The enemy's going to attack them, but the leader of the city's gone mad, and, um, and he's not going to call for help. So this little hobbit guy just goes up and lights this beacon, and this beacon is the beacon they use to call for help. And then this guy Gandalf, he's the wizard, he sees what's happened and probably had a little bit of a hand in it. And when this beacon's lit up, can you turn it up a little bit? When this beacon's lit up, the next beacon is lit up. Okay, I'm just going to pause that because I don't think you got where he said there. He said, hope is kindled, right? These are beacons of hope, God said to me. I didn't know that was coming. Hope is kindled. At this point, I got goosebumps. Wow. Just like blew me away. So what happens is when that, you can turn it down a little bit again. After, what happens is when they, when they light each beacon, they look across the mountain and, they, and uh, the, 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 there's, there's people in, like, on the peaks looking for the beacon. And when they see that beacon light, they light their beacon. And they're basically sending a message from Minas Tirith across to Rohan. And am I getting stuck? Yeah. What's going on there then? And we're crashing. Okay. It's fine. You get the point. And what happens at the end of it is the message gets across to the other end. And Aragorn runs into, into the, where the Theoden king is in his, in his hall. He's the guy that's going to respond. And they've had a bit of a falling out, the, the, him and the guy that's gone mad. And so it's like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And he says, uh, Gondor's calling for our aid. And the guy's just like, and Rohan will answer. So yes, beacons of hope lighting up the, up the nation. God then said to me, what's the name of the church in Glasgow that Andy Merrick runs? Anyone know? Who shouts? Hope Church, right? Hope Church Glasgow. And then he said... The Faroe Islands Church has just changed its name, hasn't it? About a year ago, they changed their name. They used to be called Bethania, Bethany. They changed the name to Hilsevelm, House of Hope. Wow. Right. Then God said, you know this church you're part of? You put two churches together, didn't you? One of them was called North Kent Community Church. The other one was called Living Hope. Ah, Beacons of Hope. Whoa. <laughs> so I shared this with these guys. It's fantastic. Oh, God turned up. Bam, all this stuff started happening. You know, we're changing nations, and it's not difficult. You've just got to believe it. You've just got to believe you're called to be great. You know, it's just by being you. You don't have to try and be someone you're not. Just be the great you. God is calling you to be great. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We took Gary Taylor with us to the Pharaohs. Oh, I'm running out of time. I might need to skip this bit. Oh, I don't want to. <laughs> okay, I'll jump straight to his testimony from Friday. Just come out of a builder's merchant's as I was leaving the guy behind the counter. Uh, as I was leaving, the guy behind the counter stated, "Wow, that'll be my thought for the morning, if not the day." He had a swollen ankle. I explained that Jesus is in the business of healing people and wanting them to encounter Him and His presence. He was open to prayer, open to a miracle if it would only get better. Simple declaration, and he experienced heat through his ankle. Beforehand, it was cool from the draft. Thank you, Jesus, for that Friday feeling. Go for it today. You've just got to step out and follow what Jesus does best. Just go for it. 
but I'll make you into a great nation. What does a great nation look like? What makes a great nation? The other week I went up to London with some Faroese cousins. And I apologise, I'm going over time, but I had technical issues. That's my mitigation. And we went to Buckingham Palace. And I was standing at the front of the palace in the middle of the Queen Victoria Memorial, taking it all in, and I saw these. They're called the Dominion Gates. Anyone seen them? They're, they're, they're pretty awesome, actually. Um, this one's called the Canada Gate. There's also the Australia Gate and the South and West Africa Gates. And in the stone pillars at the sides are the names of the territories that were part of the British Empire. So lots of like, Malay states and you know, all kinds of others. It's really kind of grabbed hold of me. And I was just, I was, I was really drawn by the, the, the might of the Victorian British Empire. And then God just whispered to me, you've forgotten. The British have forgotten the first word in the name of your country. Great Britain. Great Britain. Oh, and I realised I'd never thought about it, really. Great Britain. Where did that come from? We're not people that like to big ourselves up, are we? You know, that's one of the hesitancies for putting your hand up. But names are so important to identity. We are Great Britain. So I, I felt inspired and I thought, I'm going to read up some more about the British Empire. Now, I know this can conjure up some negative connotations for people, but just for a minute, please put that to one side and just take this in, okay? This map, again, not particularly helpful because the colours are not coming out. Hmm. Okay, we'll see what we can do. Um, This map shows the extent of the British Empire at its height in pink. This map shows the extent of the British Empire at its height in red, not pink. It was the largest empire in the world's history, And for over a century, it was the foremost global power. In fact, by 1922, the British Empire held sway over about 458 million people. That's a quarter of the world's population at the time. In 1920, it covered more than 35.5 million square kilometres. That's 24% of the Earth's total land area. And it was called the empire on which the sun never sets because of its coverage of the globe, which meant it was always daylight somewhere. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? Sounds like a great nation to me. But I think it's quite hard for us Brits growing up in a world that lives in the shadow of two world wars and the breakup of the empire to kind of know what to think about all that. And the tendency does seem to be, maybe it's our culture again, to focus on the wrongs that were done in building it rather than celebrating the amazing things that it created. I don't know, there were wrongs, I'm not denying that. Some of them have been in the headlines recently, you know, the the, the Windrush thing. But for the sake of this sermon, I want to look at what was great about our history and the good legacy we've created Because the mark of a great nation in that Genesis Genesis verse is all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you, right? Let's see if we can get that back up. Yeah, good. So if you were, imagine, have you seen The Life of Brian? If you imagine John Cleese and Eric Idle and Michael Palin sitting around the table with their cronies and instead of overthrowing the Romans, they're trying to overthrow the Queen and they say, what have the British ever done for us? (laughs) Well, let's have a look. What have the British done for us? Well, there's peace. The Pax Britannica, the Britannia ruled the waves. You know, we, our navy dominated the seas for that hundred years and we were completely unchallenged. We were the preeminent naval power, which meant it was safe to travel anywhere in the world, right? Because we were unchallenged. We brought democratic government eventually, okay, except in Africa where nearly all of the former colonies have adopted a presidential system. The English parliamentary system has served as the template for the governments of many of our former colonies, Right? And with that has come the rule of law because 
English common law has been the basis of their legal systems, which has given a vast number of people far more human rights than they had beforehand. All right, there was trade. The empire was all about trade, creating markets for British goods around the world, bringing stuff from around the world back to Britain. And that still carries on with the Commonwealth, doesn't it, by the way? That's our legacy in that. Uh, infrastructure. We established and maintained the world's shipping routes, I said. There are also roads and railways. The world's biggest railway system in India was down to us. Um, our plumbing was famous. Okay, so in, in, on the Mediterranean islands that we ran, Cyprus, Malta, Rhodes, Corfu, Menorca, it's actually safe to drink the tap water, which it isn't in a lot of the other ones. Right, because of our infrastructure. Um, education, uh, the English language, the world's language, upon which so much of man's development has been built. You know, English is the language of trade, the language of science, the language of entertainment. About one and a half billion people speak English. 460 million speak it as a first language. Um, technology, the Industrial Revolution happened in Britain. We, ex we developed and uh, created much of the technology that makes the world work now, makes the modern world possible, and we exported it around the world. Printing presses, steelworks, steam engines, computers, television, sport, football. Football's coming home. <laughs> Sorry, you get football in as much as you can today. <laughs> we, we can't often get that excited about it, can we? So, uh, golf, cricket, rugby, netball, tennis, hockey, all British sports that have been exported out around the world and are popular around the world. The imperial measurement system. Some of those more antiquated countries are still using it, like the you know, Americans, maybe. And, yeah, um, <laughs> not none here, are they? So. <laughs> and this one's going to be contentious, but the abolition of slavery. I know that the saying is that the empire was built on the back of slaves. But actually, I think in those times, slavery was normal everywhere. And in fact, it was, it was normal in the Bible, wasn't it? It doesn't talk about slaves, you're now free. It says slaves obey your masters. Right? They just, there's just an assumption that slavery was normal. And, but eventually, the British led the world in trying to get rid of slavery. So the Slave Trade Act of 1807 and the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833. And then between 1808 and 1860, it says... The Royal Navy's West Africa Squadron seized approximately 1,600 slave ships and freed 150,000 Africans who were aboard. aboard, aboard yeah. And then the spread of the gospel. Britain was a Christian nation. Okay, their expression of Christianity might have been very different from what we now enjoy. But the in the, during the Victorian age, the kingdom of God still advanced massively. Missionaries in the empire built churches... Yes, but often hospitals, dispensaries, schools and colleges across Britain's empire. By the end of the 19th century, there were 12,000 British ministry, uh, missionary workers across the globe. And missionary societies spent £2 million a year, the equivalent of 2% of government expenditure at that time. So when you think of the size of this tiny little island nation, it's actually quite amazing what a huge impact we've had on the modern world and the civilised society that we live in, isn't it? I think Britain is truly great. You know, the, the day after my trip to the palace, Paul Mannering was speaking on it. And I think he's got a really good perspective because he's lived in America for many years, but he's a Brit, so he understands us, but he sees us from the outside. And he just began calling out the greatness in Britain. Were you here? I just, it just really grabbed my heart. That's amazing. I believe God's got a prophetic purpose for nations, and there's something in our name, Great Britain, and he wants to restore us to our God-given purpose. We need to realize who we are and awaken once again. What about Eastgate? What is it? What is there for us? I, I, there was a, I was going to go into this thing that God had spoken to me about, about the, uh, the voice of Eastgate, or the sound of Eastgate. Pete prophesied, Laura referred to it this morning, uh, Pete prophesied over us in January, didn't he, that, that um, 
this is going to be the year that we discover the voice of Eastgate, sorry, the sound of Eastgate. But I don't think that's just a, a musical sound. I don't think it was just for the music team. I think it was for us as a body of people. And, um, and the sound of Eastgate is a sound that speaks into the culture. So I, I wrote this down. You're not going to get the context behind it, but I'm just going to read this. I believe we will become a great and powerful voice to the nation and into Europe. I think one day soon people will seek out our media, our podcasts, our music, our writings, everything we produce, and I don't just mean Christians, I mean people. Why? Because they'll make them feel alive. Because they'll make them feel inspired. Because they'll call out the gold in them and make them feel that they can be the best version of themselves. Because they inspire them to greatness. They may not even know why, but they just know there's something special about it that connects with them. I'm just going to skip back to something. I I had an article about the BBC. um, And I was just comparing us, really, with the BBC, because God had done that to me. He said, I I believe you're going to be like the BBC was in the war. And just I'll read the end of this article that I had. Um, As the war progressed, people on the home front and and in the forces saw the BBC as a lifeline of information. Even Hitler's high command is said to have tuned to the BBC so misleading did they find their own news broadcasts. Right? They, were, they were the trusted source for information, even, even for the enemy. Right? In 1944, George Orwell wrote that the words, I heard it on the BBC, had a new meaning. I know it must be true. Right? I think that's how we are going to be. People are going to come and say, if they heard it from Eastgate, then they know it must be true. Because we are full of truth. Do you want to stand up? Let me ask you again, who feels called to be great? Let's see if any of more. I didn't count how many hands. But, <laughs> but you are called to be great, aren't you? I, I just want to speak a declaration over us, so just, just reach out to God, maybe close your eyes. We are Eastgate, called by Jesus to be great people and to do great things. And God will make each of us great as we become the best version of ourselves in him. Called to be blessed and to be a blessing to others. And those who bless us will be blessed. And our enemy will not prevail against us because the curse is broken. Called to bless our neighbours, our families, our friends and our colleagues. Called to inspire a once great nation to rise up and be great again. And all the peoples of the world will be blessed through us. Amen.